Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. In this episode, Malcolm and I sit down with Sheldon Wagner to talk about everything from concussions to the different things that he's seen along his way going from his undergrad to grad school to working in the clinic to ultimately ending up at UWL where he is currently. Uh, we talked about a really interesting uh, implementation that he had with trying to get impact testing into the lacrosse community and just kind of the struggles he had with that, which now seem like they would be kind of a no-brainer when it comes to concussion and just how important it is uh, to get people tested and have a baseline and then also to have more objective measures in terms of getting people back. We also talk about throwing mechanics and how Sheldon got into that as he is kind of our local guru when it comes to those mechanics. Definitely at UWL, uh, we'll turn to him for those different things, so... There is a wealth of knowledge in this episode, and we hope that you enjoy it. And as always, to check out all our episodes, uh, go to athletictrainingchat.com, follow us on all the social major social media outlets, and again, enjoy this episode. Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. Uh, we are sitting in Sheldon Wagner's office on this lovely winter day at UW Lacrosse. Um, the sun's out at least, so that'll help melt the six inches of snow we got the other day, but that'll be good. Um, we're here to just talk with Sheldon. Uh, we think he brings a lot of unique insight, uh, especially when it comes to concussion and impact testing. We'll dive into that and just kind of the path that he's gone through in his career and how he's ended up at UWL, and we'll just see where it goes. So, just Sheldon, brief background. Welcome. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. I have a feeling this will be one of several that will occur on this thing over the course <laughs> of hopefully years. Uh, so, this is uh, I'm now in my fifth year here at UWL. I'm finally starting to feel like I'm getting some traction here and understanding a, a different workplace. Before here, I was at uh, Gunderson Sports Medicine, uh, which was for a while Gunderson Lutheran Sports Medicine and Western Wisconsin Sports Medicine. I didn't even know it went back that far. Yeah. Oh. So um, this, uh, I'm like I said, I'm finally, uh, I feel like I've got some traction here and, and I've in my time here I've had a couple different sport assignments and uh, so now I'm settling in with the softball program and with the volleyball program and that's been really nice to have some stability that way and kind of get some programs going. Uh, at Gunderson uh, I was there for 18 years in a full-time capacity. Uh, 15 of that, my last 15 there was with Viterbo University across town here in Lacrosse. <clears throat> and uh, from the time that I started there, we had seven sports, uh, to when I left, we had 17. So there's a remarkable amount of growth within the program. And the corresponding athletic trainers. Yeah, uh, absolutely zero growth uh, <laughs> in, that, in that vein. And so that was uh, brought about its own set of challenges. But uh, So we went from about 120 athletes to over 300 by the time we were there. Um 
So there's a lot of growing pains that go along with that, but a lot of opportunities for learning how to manage uh, larger groups and standardize uh, forms and techniques and bring in uh, students to help with some of the workload, uh, which was really, I think, beneficial for them and for us. Uh, prior to uh, Viterbo, I was uh, out at Toma High School in Toma, Wisconsin. I was their first full-time athletic trainer. Uh, and uh, it, that was a really great learning environment for me from a, a, a self-maintenance standpoint. You get to kind of see what works and what doesn't, and your skills uh, in some of the acute care get really hammered out pretty quick um, as far as, you know, again, you're managing several uh, hundred student athletes and, um, you know, from grades 9 through 12, and um, that was a lot of fun. I still have a lot of great memories of my time at, at Toma and still run into folks uh, around town here that uh, that I worked with there, both as student-athletes. Uh, and now I'm going to you know, kind of age myself. My son, who's a freshman in high school, one of his buddies is the son of a surgeon that I took care of when he was at Toma <laughs> High School. Um, so, and I, I did the math the other day. This is, uh, this is my coming up 25 years as a certified athletic trainer. I've also uh, I've got a strength and conditioning specialty, and, and way back when I also did um, an EMT basic class over oh, at West, nice. Western Technical College here in town. Never got a chance to really use that, but I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the opportunity to kind of speak the language with those folks and kind of get on the same page, and that really gives you a great um, opportunity to, uh, to collaborate with with uh, sure. with the emergency side of medicine and uh, kind of laid the foundation with some of the things that have taken place since then. So I uh, did my undergrad uh, at Gustavus Adolphus College in lovely St. Peter, Minnesota, uh, pre-tornado. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, a lot of basketball camps there. Yep. <laughs> Week-long yep. basketball camps. Yep. Gusty, yeah. I did a, a football camp there when I was in high school as well, and that was kind of when I first fell in love with that campus. And then I came here to UW-La Crosse for my master's in human performance. So okay. that's kind of the snapshot. Otherwise, um, I'm the youngest of 10 kids. That's kind of one of my trivia questions. and uh, I think that lends a different perspective than what a lot of people have as far as, you know, let's all... Uh, work for the good of the group that means different things to different people (laughs) when you're the youngest of 10 kids that 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 means a lot because uh, you're not just representing yourself you're representing a dozen other people in a household and and beyond that so you screw up things circulate pretty quickly you don't hear about it once you hear about (laughs) it a dozen times right so we try to minimize mistakes if at all possible so well, to kind of jump into the first topic um, that we wanted to talk about, you know, concussions obviously a hot topic, and will continue to be. I gotta imagine forever until right. stuff significantly changes or we find the next thing. Um, but now it just seems like a no-brainer to do all the testing. It should seem like a no-brainer. Would say it that way, just because there's still people that ha- haven't quite got there yet, but. Um, just even talking about it before we hopped on the episode how far back that goes with you and how you were instrumental into bringing it into the region now um 
and how that's evolved and continued to the point that obviously we've it's been at uwl with impact testing specifically Mm -hmm. for years and years but i just you had referenced that it wasn't as easy as a sell as you think it would be no these days and i just find that fascinating again given the context of these days you know the current time verse right i'm not even sure how long ago you would that would be you know is that well, you know, we, t- we talk about in medicine, it takes like a decade to have any type of paradigm change where we have to... I've heard that's on the shorter end. That's on the shorter <laughs> end. And, and we're, we're about, I would say, 12, 12 years or so, is, uh, in, at least in this part of uh, Wisconsin, where we've really kind of changed the way that we looked at things. You know, for years as a, as a high school athletic trainer, uh, you just... And I tell this to the, the classes, uh, the first aid classes that I teach, is that, you know, in the old days, a kid would get concussed on the sideline of a football, at a football game, you would, you'd see them and if, um, you know, you thought they looked good in five, ten minutes, you'd put them back out there. But I can tell you that I, I never felt good about it. And so there was always this hesitancy and, and you didn't sleep well that night and you're always, you put the kid back out there and then you just you'd only watch that one kid and it was really just not a great way to to practice or feel good about it so I always kind of knew that there was more to it than what than what we had going on at the time and at that point there was probably you know somewhere between two and three different two and three dozen different protocols of how you would handle somebody with a head injury and so you'd be well was there a loss of consciousness and that was a big marker at the time you know, there's a lot more like grading scales. Yeah, which exactly. Has, that's yeah, from that's what, what I I'm, can tell, effectively been phased out. Right, right. To a certain to, extent. Right. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're they've just kind of been upgraded and passed by. Um, and so, uh, I had an opportunity to go out and volunteer at the Olympic Training Center in uh, Lake Placid, New York. And one of the you rotate through there's kind of uh stationary staff there and then there's volunteer staff that come through and one of the uh the physicians that was there was uh chip burke he's the team doc for uh usa hockey and and was with the pittsburgh penguins and i had heard about this impact program you know uh, and because it had been kind of in development from the pittsburgh people uh kind Mm -hmm. of from the uh, pittsburgh steelers kind of uh, was that corner of the state was managing managing this program and and uh but i hadn't seen it yet and chip had a copy of uh the test on a laptop so he's like here you got to try this out so i i got to take the test and then i came back and i'm like i said this this technology this idea of doing a baseline test it's it's cumbersome but i think this is going to be the next big thing and and we should really consider um, you know, what are we doing here? Is this really a best practice, what we're doing? Our little pencil paper things. Um, is this really accomplishing what we wanted to to, to help us with good clinical care of, of head injuries? And so <clears throat> at that point, the program, it was uh, kind of a standalone program. You had to load it onto a laptop and you had to carry a laptop and put it in front of a kid. And so um, they were just starting to do more mass testing at the point. And I told the folks at Gunderson, I'm like, we, we need to either get on this train or we need to get run over it, and run over by it. Because uh, this, 
this field I think is just going to continue to blossom based off of the early stuff that they were learning off of those tests. Um, and so, you know, there was, there was some folks that were ready to go and, and really open to the idea and very supportive. And there was other folks that were um, rightfully cynical about it, you know, and, and uh, you know, we put a lot of effort into kind of bringing some of the testing here um, and work through a lot of technical issues and then kind of some turf things with some of the <laughs> neuropsychologists uh, in the area. And um, But we started, you know, doing some good collaboration. And, and we kind of took the idea that if you wanted to accomplish something, we had to do it for the good of the kids that we we're working for, you know. And uh, so we kind of we looked past um, institutional boundaries and we started working with the folks at Mayo we started working with other uh, communities and you know by the uh, it was probably you know that was 2001 when we when I saw it at Lake Placid and I knew that you know from uh, being able to roll it out we needed to have it be more nimble you know and so we could do mass testing online and that was about 2007 Okay. And so that was really when we started rolling some stuff out. I tried it for a year at Viterbo. I had already been there for a couple of years. And, uh, and that kind of worked out some bugs. And then we rolled it out to a handful of high schools in town shortly thereafter, like the next year. Um, and, and that's where it really took off. And, and you know, I, we put a lot of effort into the marketing of it, um, but really – where the, where the gold mine was was getting in front of people and doing the education what is a head injury right and, and we changed the our own definition of what we were looking at and what we were calling it you know we tried to do away with the bell ringer terminology and we um we tried to get past the idea that you had to lose consciousness to have a head injury you know that you don't even have to have a, a blow to the head and have a concussion right so these were all <laughs> you know it's it's 10 12 years ago but these were big hurdles to overcome and and pretty soon we had a lot of community based things we had uh train the trainer type meetings i was having meetings with family practice physicians and er docs and uh, other universities we'd take the show on the road and we'd go and teach uh, other athletic trainers in southwest wisconsin and we kind of built this nice network kind of developed our own uh, sideline evaluation tool as far as the 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 what did we want to include in that mm -hmm. and that really the genesis of that form that we've used now kind of since day one we've we've had new versions and iterations of it but that came after the SCAT 1 um, and before the SCAT 2. And it really turned out to be most of what's on the SCAT 2. <clears throat> um, we still maintain use of that. And I've actually had places from across the country somehow find out that we were using that at the time. And they say, hey, what do you think? Could we use that? Hmm. I'm like, yeah, send me your logo. You know what? I'll the formatting's a, a disaster. So <laughs> you send me your logo, I'll send you the file with your logo on our form. Because it, it really, it's about accomplishing what we needed to accomplish. It wasn't about, you know, making money or making Gunderson look good. It was about how do we communicate this information the best way that we could. And this is, you know, before all the fun apps came out. Right. So a cheap old triplicate form that had eval stuff on the front, and education stuff on the back 
is in triplicate so that the athletic trainer that was doing the eval uh, could directly communicate that information to the ER doc and then that ER doc could send that form along to the family practice doc. So it's a consistency in, in the message because how many times did we look stupid as high school ATs where we felt awful about this kid that's not really doing well? We send it to the ER, and four hours later, when they finally get seen in the ER, they look fine. Mm-hmm. And the doc's like, why are you here? And, right. and the parents mm-hmm. are like, I don't know. Why are we here? It seems like they're... But then four days later, when the kid can't sit through a day's worth of school, all of a sudden, you know, we're starting to kind of get that roundabout uh, idea that we're dealing with something bigger. So um, the program blossomed, and now we've kind of come full circle. You know, uh, we went to NATA this last year, and there's a discussion about, you know, should, you know, how um, beneficial is it to do this baseline testing? Mm-hmm. And I think it is. Uh, I think when we look critically at it, it's it's beneficial in some settings, but perhaps not all, you know, and the testing has evolved and we've got other things that we're right. doing. In addition, the King Devic testing, um, you know, our best testing that we're, uh, we've modified for what we do here. Uh, and I think that's going to be the answer for the next decade is, is we're just going to keep kind of fine tuning and tweaking. Um, the sad part about it is, is after all this science and advancement, and technology and helmet stuff is that we we're still not anywhere closer from changing the physics inside the skull right Mm -hmm. so the problem's not going away you know but we i i think we're doing better at identifying um and and also you know what we can do at least to get people on the best path that we know um at this moment in time in five years, we're going to look back and we're going, oh, boy, were we stupid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the great part about staying true to the work and, and continuing to just have an open mind and keep looking at all these different layers of care that you can provide um, is that, you know, you're doing the best you can with what you have at right. that time. Yeah, it's going to be weird in five years. I know um, – I've had colleagues that I've worked with that, you know, assume like football is not going to be in our, in their lifetime and they're 15, 20 plus years older than me, you know, so adding on a little bit, but just how the football, how football won't look the same. Right. Because when you ultimately get down to the root cause, like, is that just an assumption of risk? Because you could probably eliminate most sport concussions by taking, yeah, or at least the majority of them, you know, but yeah. Yeah, I'm curious about the objective blood markers. Right. That'll be, to me, that seems like the next wave. Yeah. I, just, I don't know what else you're going to be testing short of, like, brain scans. I know there's, um, I don't know what, it, it's a specific E something G yeah. um, scan of it. that They're coming out with, like, portable ones. I saw that at NATA. That'll be interesting. Yeah. And then the lab work. Brain scope, was that the name of that one? Could be. Yeah. You know, That'll be interesting right. because even like the monitoring things, you know, with the helmet sensors and the mouth guard sensors, like it's all well and good, but it's just telling you that the, that the damage happened. Right. It's not a preventative, which right. how can it be? But right. if <clears throat> if I'm gonna lay some predictive uh, money down, and I think uh, with what we're learning about CTE and um, just uh, I I gotta imagine that there is going to be. Uh, genetic subset 
that we will identify that will have some people be more susceptible than others. That wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah. And so then it, it kind of comes down to, you know, you know, do we want to identify that and, and do you want to listen to it? You know, if you're somebody who r- would really love to play uh, combat sports like that, but you've got that genetic predisposition right. to uh, an early Alzheimer's or uh, CTE type uh, plaques and stuff like that. Is, is that really worth it to you, you know? And I'm curious on the nutrition side when you mentioned that stuff too, just from multiple different scopes, you know, like ketogenic diet is a huge thing now, but just like the healthy fats and the over, I don't, it's not overdosing, don't get mad. Um, <laughs> but the focus on, you know, omega-3s and like these quote-unquote good uh, fats that would occur, um you know, and helping potentially repair that. Right. Or at least be preventative to it. We were talking earlier about, you know, there's some evidence with creatine moving completely out of the performance realm, but there have been research on it in terms of, like, Alzheimer's, just with the function of the brain and the health of the tissue. And could that then play into the role of this? And, you know, creatine can move away from the right. dark ages of what people assume of it and, right. you know, just become a thing. And Right. Yeah, it, it's going to be really, really interesting. Yeah, I think with where we are, too, from a nutrition standpoint at this moment in time, you know, how much more we're learning about that and how the idea of certain foods, you know, being protective or activating right. in, in uh, traits and triggers and cancer-causing and all that, that whole realm is really exciting, too. You want to talk about genetics. Yeah, like <laughs> you were saying, like finding genes with if you are you more susceptible or not. Do we then go and look at the foods that you actually right. can respond to? Because you may take the omega-3s out of an almond so much better than me. Yeah. So you can't dose me the same way we would dose you in terms right. of that. And so, yeah, if that ever takes hold and becomes affordable, I mean, just the personalized right. care that would be, right? wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be a whole different landscape of what people could accomplish both from a health maintenance standpoint to an athletic performance standpoint. Right. It's a whole nother, whole nother level. <laughs> and I think we'll see, I, you know, I, I could see that in the next, you know, 15, 20 years. Yeah. I think, oh, I, I think completely we're on, agree. on the cusp of a lot of really cool things. Science. Pretty cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what do you got, Malcolm? So I know we kind of touched base on it, and obviously we made a lot of like big jumps in concussion care and evaluation, but where do you see things going, and where would you like to see them go in the next, say, five, ten years then? I think I think we kind of dove into that a little bit. Um, and then, you know, from here, I think it's a matter of scale. You know, you, you've got uh, genetic testing that's already out there. Mm-hmm. Um, are people choosing to do that? Um, as an aside and somewhat interrelated, um, you know, my wife and I did the 23andMe uh, genetic testing, and we just kind of did it, just kind of get some family history and to kind of figure out some of that. But the, the the more data points they collect, and they can start to identify more, um, you know, associations with, you know, your your living habits, you know, the food and, and that type of thing. Um, I think that's really going to 
become more accessible to people, you know, and you'll have your, you know, we spoke about this earlier today about, you know, home, home testing, right. You know, and I, I think that stuff's really interesting. I, I think there's got to be some caveats and, and, you know, how much stock people are going to put into stuff. Well, how much information like is too much information? Exactly. How much do you want to know? You're starting to, I, at least I've seen it more like MRIs with low back pain specifically, like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there, but what does it mean? Right. If it doesn't, and then, if you know, not... if we're, we're treating you, not your MRI, but do we already do you a disservice that, you know, right. we think it's a disc. Right. The MRI shows it's a disc. It doesn't necessarily change anything, but now that it's in your mind mm-hmm. that it's a disc, like, right. going for, you almost have to approach it from that range and say, this doesn't change anything, this is fixable, but now it's... I got a bad back and you you've, got, you've got a mindset. So, yeah. you know, it'd be curious on like the genetics thing. Is it, well, I'm predisposed to this. Like, can, do you like self manifest that? You don't even mean to. Right. And yeah. so while information can be good, it can be very dangerous. Right. You have to be in a, I think a pretty mature position before you engage in that. Right. And, and that's, you know, maturity and good decision making in our current culture is not <laughs> not always congruent Just hashtag doesn't. twitter <laughs> yeah so then if you see if we ever get to that point where genetic testing shows people are like predisposed to like things like cte do you think it'll be like a decrease in sports participation like with contact sports or do you think it'll be just another i, I think you'll you'll have uh certainly a subset of the population that'll just say so what and they'll they'll go mm-hmm. on and they'll keep doing what mm-hmm. they're doing. I think there's such a strong culture and blood bloodlust, you know, in this country and, and in our humanity. Uh, I don't see combat sports ever going away completely, uh, but I think you do see uh, probably a bigger cross section. It's kind of like the exodus that we saw in youth football, you know. Right. But you can also there's evidence to the contrary, you mm-hmm. know, where football is a way out in a way up for you know some as long as there's money to it yeah as long as yeah and if it keeps kids engaged and going to school and and if it's if it's the right carrot you know which i I, it's a little bit of a ironic uh Mm -hmm. juxtaposition of uh you know an an athletic endeavor that can endanger your brain but it's it's the tether that keeps you in an educational setting yeah isn't that weird? That's some weird. Like that could be some weird ethical dilemmas down the <laughs> right. down the line. Right, and you know, and you know, we look at all of these extracurricular activities that are now kind of almost becoming. Is it the carrot or is it is it the thing? You know, is that why people are going to college? Right, to be able to to play at the next level and have that competition and that experience, and um, you know, that's a lot of value judgments. You know, and I, I think it's good that people have the options, but I think we can't look past the inherent risk of a right. lot of these things. You know, and we've seen this in a lot, some of the college kids that come in here, even at the Division three level, that, you know, in youth athletics. Well, that's a whole nother, <laughs> whew, that's a whole nother topic for another day, but. Sounds like another episode. <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, we could talk about chronic injuries and, and um, the overuse things and, uh, sports specialization right so um you know as a personal parenting mantra i mean we've my wife uh competed in, as a collegiate gymnast at the division three level and and i've been around athletics uh all my life but 
um, we've really kind of taken the idea that, you know, we want our kids to explore and we want kids to learn how to move and how to be active and healthy and have a good diet. And then wherever their passions take them, when they get to start making their own decisions, so be it. Um, that's fine. Uh, we have the kids doing swimming and gymnastics and, um, ball sports and independent sports. And so you can really, there's so many options out there, but then there's also that concurrent pressure to push into a specialization. And, you know, you just, there's, uh, there's also a a certain level of insanity somewhere in there. And, uh, unfortunately people cross into it, uh, before they recognize that they've (laughs) found the precipice that they're going to fall over. Whether you're talking about youth basketball, hockey, wrestling, um, show choir you know it's all (laughs) there's there's so much uh out there for folks and uh you know we just we do our best to try to implore people to stay balanced you know Mm -hmm. and that's i think that's uh, a huge um just point of view you know and and coming back to the old wellness wheel you know you try to pay attention to all the different aspects of your life and that's that's kind of what's gonna keep you healthy and happy is just maintaining balance that had nothing to do with what you asked about but that's where we finished <laughs> there you go um I, we had too many topics so like i said we'll have to do another round but i did um want to get into your shoulder and kind of throwing mechanics uh before we get into the athletic training chat questions um probably should have known that concussion and that would probably take up a significant amount of time we could go on for hours i'm sure all good um how did you get started in that you know and then from there we can kind of dive into you know how like what would you recommend for people to do it i've heard from different people that are very good at it like their recommendations i'm curious as to what yours are right because speaking of sports specialization yeah you know you talk about arms of little leaguers and right I've heard stories of people trying to purposely throw out their arms so they can get Tommy John to yep. strengthen it up. Just it's out there. Speaking of the insanity of it all, it's out there, and yeah, it's it's a lot of misconceptions out there, and a, a lot of well-intentioned people with uh, not enough information. Um, I've always loved baseball, <clears throat> and um, I was a dreadfully bad hitter. so my my career in baseball as a player ended uh appropriately early um and then when i uh got to uh, the sports med clinic we had a few folks that specialized in that area and um some of those folks left and so there was simply there was a void um in in uh, our ability to provide those types of services so i just kind of started looking into it um I attended a few conferences uh, to kind of learn more general about the topic and then kind of bone up a little bit on <clears throat> my own shoulder and uh, elbow knowledge. And there's uh, some great conferences out there. The ASMI group out of Alabama mm-hmm. uh, was one of the, the first conferences that I went to. And then, you know, nowadays there's all sorts of websites and apps and, right. and, and things that you can utilized for tools but that was kind of the genesis of it myself and a couple co-workers went to some conferences and and kind of started digging into it and since um you you know you get books and you kind of 
you just start paying attention to the topic and um I'm not, you know, with a, a family now, I don't follow, you know, the major leaguers quite as much. And um, uh, so a lot of folks will kind of ask specific questions about that. I'm like, I, I can't always speak to those specific references or, right. you know, um, <clears throat> but I think um, it's been beneficial for me to kind of uh, in the setting that I was in where I got to work with some youth athletes, you know, kids as young as, you know, eight or 10. Um, and I think to do justice, um, with that type of a service, you know, where you're looking at kids mechanics, you have to kind of look at things from a developmental standpoint too. And that's when it's been kind of great to have kids at home too. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach my kids how to throw left-handed and, you know, or hit left-handed. Um, it, it, it worked to a point. I had one left-handed hitter, (laughs) Uh, but no lefty throwers. So I try and teach one to shoot with both. Literally come down the court and pull up with either hand. Right. Well, and, and that, again, let's go back to the idea of balance. You right. Know, whatever you can do with your left, you should do with your right and whatnot. Um, so, you know, as far as for me kind of gaining experience in that, it, it just kind of comes down to opportunity matching up with uh, the background that you have. So we did a lot of stuff in clinic with uh, athletes that were post-surgical, you know, and so then you're having to reteach some, uh, some movement skills and patterns and, uh, in trying to reteach, uh, you folks that have been doing things for a long time, but obviously became, um, pathology creating Mm -hmm. patterns. And so you have to say, you know what, we don't need to change things whole hog here, but we do need to make some modifications, get you stronger in different planes, and um and work on your footwork and utilize core muscles that we you weren't using before right if you got somebody that was throwing all arm or with no follow-through or something like that and it really kind of um the longer you're in it you start to see the patterns emerge and that um that's kind of what when you start to feel like you're getting good at it when you've you've seen enough, you've seen a, a critical mass of, of throwers that you can go. Eventually, that type of mechanic is going to lead to an anterior shoulder problem or a posterior shoulder problem. And then <clears throat> I was feeling pretty good about that. And then now uh, the stage that I'm at is kind of where I, I really started to dig into more about thoracic mobility, you know, and that's something in these last... 10 years or so that I've started paying more attention to and, and tissue quality. Mm-hmm. The, just the come back to the genetics piece of it. There are some people that just have tissue quality that is superior to others. Right. Uh, joint laxity specifically, or, you know, types of muscle, uh, muscle fibers and that type of thing. <clears throat> so I think for anybody that wants to get involved in it, I think it starts with just educating yourself first on in would whatever way uh, is your preferred learning style. I like to go to conferences because that's where I get jazzed up with new ideas. Mm-hmm. And I come back and I'm in, I'm in enthused to to go back and do some more homework and and then look at things kind of uh, with a different lens, um, and then you know I'll, I'll read up on it and you know dig into different websites and right. different opinions and then I'll. I'll go back to the people that I was learning from and say, what do you think about this? Right. You know, am I just seeing this? Am I imagining this? Or what do you think? And there, sometimes that's where, you know, the, the grassroots of, of a new idea will, will emerge. 
Um, but you can see on my bookshelf, I've got some throwing stuff there. And I, you know, I still look at stuff online. I like to, um, you know, uh, follow guys like um, Cressy, Eric Cressy yeah. uh, out east. And um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interest level there. But there's, you know, for newer practitioners, there's also kind of some caveats. That guy gets to work with the guys that are already genetically right. superior and um and so you know what what you see in some of these websites and what you read uh, it doesn't always apply to your population yep. if if you're working with kids that that don't have the base arm strength they don't know how to use their core they should not be doing some of these advanced workouts and, right. and uh you know med ball tosses and whatnot it's you've got to start from a developmental level and and what are the basic movement patterns that we need people to have um and teach them to have an awareness of their body um you know when i was working more with the high school kids in the in the clinic i I would tell them and their moms would always love this i said you know if you want to do anything outside of your sport that will help you in your sport here's my two favorite things number one yoga and i and i I practice this now myself, so I've kind of come more full circle on that idea. But it only reinforces the idea of, of balance from front to back, side to side, having an awareness of where your body is in space. And then uh, for baseball, softball, lesser for other sports, it's it's ballroom dance. Hmm. Are you going to get all over this, Malcolm? Are you going to go take a ballroom dance class? I won't tell anyone, though. Well, no, it's... <laughs> There's a lot of different social benefits <laughs> to it. <laughs> okay, okay. So, <clears throat> but again, um, especially kids uh, in the Midwest that, you, you know, uh, there's a genetic preponderance to, to the folks that are in this area versus uh, folks in the Latin countries where dance and movement is right. different right. than what we practice up here. Um, and the thing about it is, there's certain hip movements and hip control things, uh, pelvic awareness and core strength that you start to learn when you're doing different dance steps, especially like ballroom and Latino dance, um, that you just can't, it's really hard to teach otherwise. Mm-hmm. But then it also speaks to a higher athletic ability. You know, uh, these great athletes, they know how to move. They, they know how to control their body. They know where they are in space. And so those are um, outside things that I think well-round a person both physically and, uh, you know, emotionally and cognitively and from a body awareness standpoint that I think if folks want to kind of dig into something kind of off the grid a little bit mm-hmm. of, of what the normal athletic uh, things are, you know, it's not just about throwing med balls around. It's not right. just about... Uh, your Olympic lifts and, and um, you know, doing your 10,000 dead bugs. Eventually the dead bug we'd like to see get off the floor, you know. Right. And we want to mm-hmm. see them up in space and, and moving and um, and utilizing their full athleticism. And I think that's uh, that's a, it's a good lofty goal. And there's a, a bazillion steps in between the start and the finish. But that's a great, great path to, to work off of. I couldn't agree more with the basics, even when you just see it here, you know, all these, I found this online and -and so-and-so is doing it. It's just great. Yeah, Yeah, but but you can't X, Y, (laughs) Z. Yeah, you're talking about so-and-so who's 
so much further ahead of you and right never in a demeaning way but it's just like there's a reason they're there and can do those things yeah and you're here like and that's not wrong right well, it doesn't mean anything bad it's just right it's context it's always got to come back to the context it, it really is and because you'll you'll <clears throat> you've always got you know i have in my mind a, a mechanical efficiency model that i would like to see the throwers achieve and but then when you watch a professional athlete that doesn't have those right it's like well that it's working for that guy and he's doing it wrong quote unquote right um you know but yeah you're not randy johnson you're not six foot and it's all individualized right right and and i wouldn't purport that we all need to be the same but um that's why I don't pretend to know everything. You know, I have a model that I think right. works for a lot of people, but I'm always looking to learn why it doesn't work on that one. I've used this example more than I should have recently, but I heard it on a podcast they were talking about, you know, like range of motions and like, you know, what's normal, right? Like what is normal? And they were talking about basketball and talking about Vince Carter and how he may not even get back to zero degrees for dorsiflexion like he just doesn't have it like if it's zero and he's neutral he's good Mm -hmm. but you talk about a guy that's obviously jumps out of the gym or has throughout his career but also has not really ever been injured right but you know we're talking you know you got to have ankle range of motion like you have to yep you think vince carter can get into the perfect you know glute to heel right squat or you know below 90 with a bunch of weight, I doubt it. Right? Has right. it affected him? I would say probably not. Oh, he's and doing prob- okay for himself. Mm-hmm. We probably would have screwed <laughs> him up trying to get him to do it. So right. you know, like you said, those just anomalies that right. for some people it just works. Bell-shaped curve. Until it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. If it doesn't. Right. <laughs> Everything's good until it's not. Right. <laughs> well, shall we jump into the athletic training questions? Sure. You want to go on the first one? Sure. So as far as, like, what does an athletic trainer mean to you? Being an athletic trainer. Um, Loaded question. It it is. um, It is. I mean, for me, uh, you know, I I went to a a liberal arts uh, undergrad college. I like to be – I fancy myself to be a well-rounded person. I like to do things both uh, in the athletic realm – uh, in the medical realm, uh, I like the education piece that AT provides. Um, and I think that there's, um, uh, in my role, when I'm uh, feeling good about it, there's a seasonality to it. You know, I, I, I like to kind of deal in seasons and cycles, you know, and so being in an academic setting is is a little bit more healthy than uh for me than being in a clinical setting physician extender role that i've done before um just because it kind of allows for kind of ebbs and flows and in your natural your natural life and when we live here in the midwest that seems like a natural uh ecosystem you know it's to function in you can't just grind 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 all the time and and not you know have some time away so uh, I love the variety that AT provides, um, and I, you know, I think about this sometimes. Of, you know, people have their idea of what um, art is. You know, we talk about athletic training being an art and science. 
I remember watching very specifically uh, this volleyball player uh, that I worked with at Viterbo. And when she jumped up into the air, her ability to achieve athletic perfection was, it, it just, it took my breath away. It's like poetry. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so when you get to, you know, if you're somebody that appreciates poetry and you read something and it, and it reaches you, you're like, this is it. Found it. You know, and we don't see it every day all the time. But when you get to see artful athletic performance and that's your dang job is to sit right, and get to, right. to get to seek it out, to tweak it, to return it to its natural form. That's very rewarding. And um, and it never gets old, you know, uh, crappy practice times. <laughs> that's another thing. Those can catch up to Seeing you. Seeing as I was here at 530 this morning. Right. Um but, uh, you know, if you're doing a good job of keeping yourself balanced with your home life and your work life and, uh, you know, there's a, our little quote on the wall over there yep. about the master of the art of, yep. uh, of life, um, it's really, it's a rewarding field. It's ever-changing. It's ever-challenging. Um, your interaction with uh, folks uh, from all different walks of life, socioeconomic status, abilities, um, you can reach a lot of people on a lot of different levels. And so it's it's been just a really rewarding time um, for me personally. And I think as a field, um, I think we're on the cusp of a lot of good growth as well. I think we've come a long way in the last 75, 80 years as, mm-hmm. a, as a profession. Well, look at that leading right into the next question. That was well played. <laughs> Where do you see the profession going in, say, the next five to ten years? And if you want, that could be huge. But if you want to kind of set an example, you know, in an area that you think specifically, well, we're transitioning to, uh, you know, the academic programs, all going to master's degree level, and I think, uh, I think that's, it's necessary. I think it's going to be uncomfortable as any change is. Yeah. Um. You know, and we had a lot of, I, I recently went to an educator's conference and, and there's a lot of dis- different discussions about, you know, why do we need to be at a, a master's degree? And, and um, there's such a higher expectation now than what there used to be, you know, 40 years ago. Oh, yeah. What athletic trainers do. The skill sets that you need to bring both uh, from a hard science and soft personal people skills. Mm-hmm. Um for someone to be um, successful in this range, I think there's a much higher demand. And so I think there's a level of maturity that's going to need to be required of people uh, that want to come into this field. There's more, um, you know, you're in a position of trust. And I, th- I think we don't talk about that maybe enough as we should. Um, and there's all the technical things that go along with having a, a practice in any type of medical field at this right. point. Um, so there's a lot out there. At the same time, our growth uh, as a profession with all the different settings that we have available to us now and that we're kind of showing what the skill set of the AT is capable of, I think is phenomenal to see us in the performing arts and the tactical um, tactical professions and working with the military. Um, it makes perfect sense. I wonder if that will evolve into like residency programs where you're going to have to specialize. 
you know, just like PTs where right. you can go and do different residencies and, you know, and doctors, you know, the whole right. healthcare model, you know, just right. if it continues to grow, are you going to have to go and do like the tactical right. residency in order to get a job in that? Because that's going to be very different than the industrial right. one where the skill sets can apply, but Right. Are we gonna? It'll be interesting if we get to that point. I, I think that's entirely possible. I I think, uh, you know, for me, I've always kind of enjoyed being a generalist. Right. You know, I like having my interest areas and whatnot. But um, I think for folks that really want to zero in on something, um, those opportunities are gonna are blossoming. And and then with the ad, the usage of internet and and you know being able to sell and share your craft online yep. and, and get it out all over the world really um the opportunities are li- limitless and i think in these next couple decades you're it's again you know it's gonna look way different who knows way different than what it is today and so you just have to position yourself uh for for change and be open to it for sure all right, so coming from someone myself as a young young athletic trainer, what advice would you give to someone if you could, like, earlier on in your profession or as a student? Hmm. Well, there's advice I'd give to you personally. <laughs> we'll talk about that after. <laughs> uh, Off the record. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, think, uh, you, I think the earlier you identify what your – uh, values are and the more that you can just remind yourself of those um, you know <clears throat> I think it starts to shape the way that you practice um, and so it, and I think sometimes in different settings and you, you're seeing this in all different walks of life and it blows up in our face all the time about people kind of not living up to their professional expectations and I think it's because people kind of keep their eye, they take their eye off the ball. They start worrying about the money. They start mm-hmm. worrying about notoriety, how many likes they have on social media. <clears throat> you have to be careful about, you know, where you're putting your attention. And if you want to uh, eventually be happy, you know, from a professional, personal, financial standpoint, I think it'll all kind of fall into place. If you keep your eye on the ball, you keep a values-based approach to what you're doing. You know, you focus on the work. Focus on what you want to do, the problems you want to solve. The rest of it falls into line after that. Mm-hmm. And so if you, um, you know, you, you worry about the patient in front of you and you do right by that person and you do right by your family that's waiting for you at home, you'll be fine. I like that one. That's a good one. Uh, what has been one of the more influential resources that you found in your career? Hmm. Influential resources. <clears throat> I think it's the network that you build around yourself. I think if you succeed, uh, surround yourself with quality, high caliber people that are excited about what they do. Oh, I couldn't agree more. It's it, it, it makes things fun. You want to get up. You want to go to work. Um, you want to work on projects. You, you want to kind of when you have a little success, you want to show it off a little bit. And, um, and I think if, if I have a, a strength in athletic training, it's the, the network uh, that I've surrounded myself with. Um, I don't 
pretend to be good at everything, but if I identify something that I that I know that I can't help with, I I know one or two people. I got a guy. Right. <laughs> know a person that can get you to the thing. I, I yeah, I I got a guy that that I want you to see and uh and then I think we're going to be in good shape. You right. Cuz you're never going to people get themselves in trouble when they when they kind of put themselves in a silo or they they try to do too much themselves. Um, it, it, it's not right for them. It's not ultimately right for their patient. So, um, what resource, all of the resources, uh, anything that you have at your disposal. And it's usually more than you think, right? It's the books on your shelf. It's the, the, the colleague the classmate that you had five, 10 years ago. Um, it's, it's the internet and all the resources that, that are available there. So, if you feel like you're stuck and you don't have the answer, then you just haven't looked. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, very very little out there, especially yeah. around us, that hasn't at least been looked at to give right. you some guidance. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Oh, that's that's good. Alrighty, so one of our last questions then. If you could change or eliminate one thing, such as like modality, common practice, <clears throat> in the field of athletic training, what would it be? Uh I wish all pants had expandable uh, waistbands. Because, <laughs> you know, we, we're stuck wearing khakis all the time. And, uh, y- you know, oh, maybe that wasn't where you were going with that question. I, I, could, I could honestly, and for myself, say that there would be times that that would be... <laughs> And you thunder know, thighs over here. Well, right? it, it comes down I go to through a few pairs a year. Comfortable, comfortable shoes and and pants that don't split open when you're trying to demonstrate. There something. you go. So, you know, I know that the science is out there. I know that we'll get there someday. <laughs> so ask ask the question again because I should come up with a better answer than that. Even though that that's the best. So answer. in the field of athletic training, if you could eliminate anything, rather like a common practice or like a modality or something about the field that you generally just don't agree with, what would it be? I can think of one for you. Yeah, go ahead. With overhead athletes, stop stretching into external rotation. <laughs> yeah, that's a peeve. In yeah. in most cases. In most cases, it's not. It doesn't apply for everybody. But yeah, it's, it still makes me. It's cringeworthy to watch practitioners actively try to dislocate someone's shoulder for them. It just. <laughs> I was going through yeah. that MSK ultrasound one that we got that I side note we'll share um but just looking at it like it's just a different way of seeing it because they're actually taking you through the exam you're identifying all the rotator cuff Mm -hmm. tendons and whatnot and you can see it moving under it and you can just it gives a whole other view of it right and as if it's not cringeworthy enough seeing it in just real time but like truly seeing what's happening right it's you're just like (laughs) oh (laughs) yeah you know just the winding up that you're forcing those right muscles and the tendons to go through and we already know that that overhead throwing is not a natural motion for the human shoulder and and um when we yes it might feel good momentarily but uh you know there's a lot of things in life that you know might feel good momentarily doesn't mean that make a good decision yep wow there's another whole show topic right there so yeah it's the mantra just because you can doesn't mean you should right um so yeah, that's a good example, and um, of you know how we can. Uh, I think, 
Yeah, let's just leave that one right there. There you go. <laughs> um, anything else that you would want to share in closing? <clears throat> no, this was uh, great. I love it. I'm looking forward to hearing other people's uh, time on the chat here. And uh, thanks for the invitation. With that, if anybody wanted to follow you, see where you're going, if you want to share, I'll leave it up to you what on the socials or if they want to get in touch with you, again, leave that completely up to you. Yeah, you know, I've, I've started to become a bigger fan of Instagram, and uh, so I'm periodically posting some stuff up there. Twitter, uh, I was doing some stuff, more, more work-related topic-specific things on Twitter once in a while, but um, otherwise, email or phone call is good here at UW Lacrosse. There you go. And we'll link up to that if you don't mind and Absolutely. Sa- save people maybe a mm-hmm. couple clicks through the UWL yep. website. Yep. So. I try to be accessible so the doors usually open. So Awesome. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it.